Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We invite the immortal Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, to be in our midst. We acknowledge and adhere to your words, Lord, that you're with us as many more than two are gathered here together in prayer. Yes, Lord. For we are heralds of your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Guide our minds and hearts during this radio broadcast and to speak only of the truth you have taught us as we seek each day to see your holy face. Yes, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that uh, we only do your will throughout this day, and we thank you, Lord, for the gifts and fruits of your love that brings happiness and healing to your people. Bless Todd and Calvin, and bless the good people working in this studio. Hallelujah. Bless the listeners of this Cajun Catholics program, and bless all of us, especially orphans and widows. Thank you, Jesus. Who have put their trust in you for we are happy indeed. Shine the brightness of your light on us that Thank we you, may Lord. love you always with Hallelujah. a pure heart. Hallelujah. And we ask this you, of you in the name of the Father and of the, the Son and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Excited today to have Deacon Reggie Bollock as our guest today. He is at St. Jules Church. Welcome, Deacon. Thank you for inviting me, Todd. You're very and welcome. And, and our co-host today is Mr. Calvin James. Calvin James. The King. Uh, welcome to the show again, Calvin. Thank you, Todd. Glad okay, to so Deacon, I want you to start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, first of all, I was um, born and raised in Scott, Louisiana, just outside Lafayette. And uh, I was brought up as a cradle Catholic. My parents were very extremely devoted Catholics. Both of them of uh, German ancestry had their homes in Mowater in Roberts Cove. I know where that is. And uh, yeah, and uh, my dad moved to Scott in 1943, the year before I was born. So I'm a cultural Cajun. And uh, in my early years, my faith was formulated, of course, by the faith of my parents and uh, Saints Peter and Paul Church and Father Lawrence Fournette at the time. And uh, at St. Lawrence, uh, uh, Saints Peter and Paul and Scott in St. Lawrence Church in Mowater. So during the first few years of my life, the first uh, eight grades, grade one to grade eight, I was greatly influenced by everything that went on in the church, May devotion, the uh, novenas on Wednesday night. Christ the King was a big event in those days. Uh, we all got together in Grand Coteau under the pines and had marches with banners. So that was the way I was brought up. All of the school teachers were devoted Catholics and Christians in Scott. And my fifth grade school teacher, Mrs. Francis Prejean, is probably the one person beyond my parents and siblings that helped shape my life into what I would do, and uh, especially in these last 30 years. And my eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Hollis Long, she would plant in my mind the idea of becoming a physicist and a scientist, and that shaped me along the way. All of these 
women that were all, all, only women taught me in grades one to eight. And every afternoon, once a week, on the afternoon that we were to take religious classes. Now, we're in a public school in Scott, <laughs> but we would leave the classrooms and go over to the church right across the street and uh, have our catechism classes. That's the way things were in the 50s. So I was a cradle Catholic. I did all the things that were Catholic. Didn't really even know what the Bible was. Uh, knew what the Bible was, but never really read it and knew anything about it. And then I went to Cathedral High School in the ninth grade. And uh, when I started at Cathedral, we are still in the pre-Vatican two years. I learned a great deal from the Christian brothers, but the one who really shaped my life in high school was Coach Bill Arms, a devoted Catholic, and uh, Coach Jim Perslow in my last year of high school. These two guys really helped shape my confidence in what I would do. So still, even with the classes at Cathedral, we read the Bible, but I wasn't really uh, in tune with too much Bible reading other than for what the classes we had at Cathedral. And then the Vatican II conferences took place, and uh, that changed a lot for many of us. For me personally, by that time, I had started uh, school at, at that time, USL, and uh, I guess I shifted from being a cradle Catholic to a cafeteria Catholic, mm -hmm. knowing that these new thoughts coming out of Rome gave us the chance to kind of pick and choose what we wanted to do. At least that was my understanding and the understanding of many of my peers in those days. So it came to the point that, uh, well, you could miss Mass once in a while on Sunday. It really didn't matter. You didn't hurt anyone else. Age 22, ready to get married. Well, you know, we want to control how we bring kids into the world. So birth control was, yeah, it was okay. It was acceptable. Your place in heaven might not be as great, but uh, you'll still make it in. Those were, that was the thinking. And so uh, you'd seek priests who were sympathetic to how you wanted to pick in the cafeteria line. So there wasn't a great deal of prayer in my life other than attending Sunday Mass. I got married uh, right out of college. That was the thing to do, to uh, be socially acceptable, was just get married. It didn't matter to whom generally, as long as you knew each other and you felt like you were in love, even though you may not understand what love is. <laughs> and so... I went through that period of time. I was uh, working at NASA in, in Houston for eight years on the Apollo project and was involved there. We had attend mass. I was, uh, my wife and I and our young children coming along, we would attend mass pretty much every Sunday in those days. And then eventually I uh, took another job in Baton Rouge with Exxon then uh, I was really immersed in a lot of work, and religion began to take pretty much more of a, a backseat in life. Uh, still attended mass, but skipped now and then, and uh, it just wasn't uh, anything that was uh, more than just a Sunday thing to do. I eventually moved to Saudi Arabia at the age of 38, 
on loan to Aramco from Exxon. And when we got there, there were uh, cultural differences. One of the things we did have were priests in each of the living compounds. But uh, the, this all had to be underground. The entire process of religion was held underground. Masses were held in, in the school gymnasiums, uh, generally. There was a home there for the pastors and Protestant ministers. They each had their individual homes. And they conducted services, uh, smaller services in their home uh, with fewer people, of course. So that did go on, and that was available. But as I lived there during an eight-year period, I got to the point where, well, it wasn't that important to go to Mass at all anymore. And so for a period of probably three or four years, I was a lapsed Catholic. The only thing important to me at that point was making sure that my two children were confirmed and I can even remember telling them that, you know, once you're confirmed, you're on your own. <laughs> you know, you pick and choose what you need to do with life. Uh, there was a certain maturity level among teenagers living in the Middle East that was a uh, little different than the maturity level of children living in the uh, States, as we thought anyway. So. I let my children uh, just have free reign of their lives. After uh, religiously after they were uh, confirmed. And so life continued that way where religion wasn't in, uh, an important thing to me. And then suddenly one day I was hit with a ton of bricks. It was like coming down to rock bottom. Acts chapter 9. My wife <laughs> and I were not hitting it off and we were not getting along and no prayer was in our life. And so I, um, we decided uh, that we would split and get a divorce. I was 44 years old. Very devastating for, for me personally to lose the family at that time. By that time, I had a daughter who was a freshman in college at Cal Poly and uh, a son who I put in uh, boarding school at St. Stanislaus in Mississippi. So I was there living alone after the divorce in the middle of a desert. And uh, suddenly one day, one evening, I remember it was uh, about 1.30 in the morning on the Ides of March of 1989 when I actually hit rock bottom, rock bottom. And I went to my knees in that apartment that I was living in and I, uh, religion then, still not in my life, but I raised my arms up to heaven, crying to, with floods of tears. And I just said, Lord, you promised that if I turned it over, you were going to make things right. And that happened. I'll never forget the moment. I'll never forget the minute. It took about 20 minutes for me to recover from this moment, but at that point, life changed. The mm -hmm. Ides of March of 1989. And so I began to turn to daily prayer. I began, I had a, I had a good news Bible on my bedside, uh, which is kind of what we would call almost a know-nothing Bible yeah, today. Modern man. <laughs> modern man it was, it was Bible. Good news for modern yeah, man. right. So I started reading that. 
started praying the rosary. In fact, I joined the Filipino group to do a rosary every uh, Wednesday night. And um, they looked forward to having me. So they let me lead a lot of times in the rosary. And boy, I felt good. Man, I'm really becoming a Catholic now. And, uh, and so um, I applied for my annulment. I said, along the way, if I meet someone else, I want to still come to the church and want to still take the Eucharist and be a devoted Catholic. So I applied for the annulment. Sometimes later, a few months later, I'm back home in Lafayette. And of course, the divorce was still very fresh in my mind. I have to talk to my parents who... I was so afraid to approach them to let them know that I was now a divorced person. Mm-hmm. And um, But as it were, my mother especially I said, you know, uh, one of the things that you have to do is make sure that uh, you don't let someone else harm your own health because by that time I had already had some surgical operations to remove body parts that had to be extracted because of stress. So I had that confidence after that uh, from my mother. And then um, I uh, went to a wedding. My niece was getting married at St. Genevieve Church, and she asked that I do the readings. So I did. I uh, went and uh, did the readings. And uh, Father Joe Brennan was there at the time, and I asked Father Joe if I could say something to my grand, uh, for my godchild who was getting married, my niece. And he said, sure. So I did. I went ahead and said a few things to them. And it was a very stirring two or three minutes that he gave me to say something nice to them. And uh, then I uh, went back to my seat. And, uh, and then going, uh, people started coming up for communion. And I looked up, and there was a person I remembered from about 25 years ago. And it was Dottie Compton. And so I said, wow. I said, I, I remember the face, but I sure don't know, remember anything more about her. And so she and I went to have a meal that night, and I had to go back to Arabia. And a year later, we met up again. And then from there, we eventually got married. She had her annulment. I had her annulment. Life was now anew. With- it's beautiful. I want to interrupt you for one second just to remind our listeners, you're listening to Cajun Catholics. We feature outstanding Catholics from all over Acadiana, and we have one on the show today where our guest today is Deacon Reggie Bollock. We love a good Cajun love story, so continue on. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, my life changed. I, married, I then married a woman who read the Bible every morning, and then we prayed together. And we were actually on an assignment in California, Alhambra, California, during the first three years of our marriage. And one day she wanted to, uh, uh, I noticed that there was a charismatic renewal convention being held in Anaheim Convention Center. And I knew that she wanted to go to that because she had been involved with that movement for some years. I myself was not really wanting to get involved in that. Uh, uh, as I um, recall, I could go into the details, but... But uh, nevertheless, I said, okay, Dottie, let's, uh, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll attend that convention. So we went there, and when we got into the convention center, I said, uh, 
I want to sit clear at the top. I want to be outside of the realm of this arena where all these 12,000 people were. And so I'm sitting up there. And as this convention takes place, there's been some healing processes uh, going on down below with Father Ron Roth. Some of you may remember a very famous Catholic healer. And I looked off to my left and I saw this man about 10, 15 feet away, maybe 20 feet away, a little bit below the bleach where I, bleaches where I was sitting. And he had on blue jeans and um, uh, nicely dressed, everything, but he was uh, looked like maybe a blue-collar worker. He had uh, uh, sort of a suntan. His skin was uh, very brown from the sun. And uh, he had a smile on his face that just captivated me. Like Calvin. Like Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I looked at, I said, I just couldn't get my eyes off this man. And uh, I kept saying, I want what that man has. I want that. Amen. And uh, got distracted, looked down to the platform to see Ron Roth healing a woman who I later met, uh, gave up a wheelchair and walked. Wow. And uh, I looked to my left again, and this man was gone. Was it an angel of God? Mm. I can only say that for me it was an angel of God because it really helped change my view of things at that moment. And you still haven't met him, seen him since? Never saw him again, but he's in my mind and in my testimonies all the way through. Yes. Yeah, a theme on the show <clears throat> lately has been the gaze of Christ, you know, and I, I, when you tell that story, I, I kind of, that's what I am imagine, the gaze that you had with him and he with you. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, uh, I changed. I got baptized in the Spirit that weekend, that the fire of the Spirit fall. Amen. And then, um, a little later, life changed completely, of course, after Dottie and I get married. My life completely changes. I'm eager to get out of the working world and see what I can possibly do in the name of God. And then things began to really change. By 1966, I got introduced to um, a couple of archaeologists that were in the uh, working in the Holy Land, and I joined uh, Rami Arav and Elizabeth McNamer there, and was able to unearth Gesher, the uh, the uh, uh, early Roman, uh, an early uh, uh, street, an early village that was uh, the home of uh, a King Talmai and uh, his daughter. Uh, Mayaka, and it's the place where King David married her, and eventually they begot the son Absalom. And so my work in the Holy Land continued. I've been there now going uh, uh, f 14 times now in the last 25 years, and uh, I developed uh, the Digging into Scripture program that I use. But I just I want, want to say, say how cool that is yeah. because, you know, we have a Cajun Catholic live on the show who is Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, <laughs> and uh, I've been to Bethsaida in the Holy Land, and I can so relate to what you're saying, but that is really cool. Okay. And, you know, I'd I like to say something, too, because the Holy Spirit is all over this talk, and you said that uh, something about 1425, what was that yeah, you said? Well, I've been in the Holy Land on 14, 14 times over the in last, 25 years. The uh, scripture that I read in the... Uh, 
journey to Jerusalem today was the cost of being disciple in Luke 14:25. I mean, I'm, I like to call these things out because I believe this is all divine intervention. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to get on, though, yes, sir. Todd, to talk about what I really wanted to talk about. All right, bring it on. <laughs> and that was about uh, our projects that we've done at St. Jude's Church. Uh, 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 and uh, it started uh, the first project started long before I even knew there was a St. Jules Church but I did meet Father Dan Edwards back in 2004 that's my man and uh, and so uh, th- I didn't know Father Dan at all other than he knew that I had started um, a project with the Redemptorist Fathers in Thailand at an orphanage called Sarnelli House with uh, Father Mike Shea, who's still alive in there today at 83, 82 years old. And um, we got started there by uh, uh, building a mission house, which we named uh, the Charlene Richard Mission House. And it was a place for uh, uh, people throughout the world to go there to live, six bedroom home we built for people throughout the world who want to go there and bring their donations and have a missionary experience and to help Father Shea and the children form and, uh, and, uh, and tend to their needs. Uh, 240 plus children under his care at that orphanage now today. Imagine the reach of the Cajun Catholics. A little saint from Richard, Louisiana, has an orphanage in Thailand. Right. Thanks to you. Thank you. That's yep. beautiful. And uh, maybe, Todd, along the way, if you invite me back someday, I'd like to spend the 30 minutes of this program talking about all of these projects that we've done yes. in Charlene's name. So I'll briefly get into the next one. Now we're getting toward the end of the program. Um, through Father Dan, we also opened a 27-bedroom, a, a four-story hospice built by St. Jules parishioners in Manizales, Colombia. And the purpose of that uh, project, the purpose of that house, is to ha- was to house street people who were dying in the streets of what's called El Cintro. The, the, the local name was Galleria in Manizales. Uh, It's a long discussion as to how all this occurred. I hope to be able to tell it on the air someday. uh, But at any rate, today, uh, street people are living there. There's about 10 street people that have moved in. But it's amazing how Jesus has brought all of us together at a time when there's so many problems in Venezuela. We now have 45 women and children living in the Casa Charlene and being fed through stipends given them through by St. Jude's Church through Father Dan. And um, uh, these Venezuelan people would have no place to stay. And so it's, uh, it's been a really blessing for us to have that. Uh, I'd like to also go into that detail later yeah, to tell yeah. how that came about. But we also have three more uh, programs started, one in Salamanca, Mexico, with my uh, co-deacon, uh, Jose Luna. That's going to be for abused women and for uh, people coming for, uh, trying to get a better life from Central America. We're going to have a place for people to come and, 
and at least get a bite to eat and a place to stay. And then we have two soup kitchens through another co-deacon, Vicente Blanco at uh, St. Jules. And Deacon Vicente is now setting up two soup kitchens in his home country of Venezuela. And, uh, and those uh, soup kitchens are, are now in operation. And we've, uh, in fact, this week bought through a major donation from one of our parishioners, a freezer and a refrigerator. That's awesome. Deacon, Calvin's never sat still this long without saying anything, so he's about to explode okay. over there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I took close uh, notice of your conversation, and uh, I want to make the audience understand how the Holy Spirit works and how you recognize that the Holy Spirit is moving because you line it up with the Word of God. God gave some inst- Jesus gave some instructions in the Great Commission. Matthew 28 19, go out into the whole world. Then he gives some instructions to the churches um, in, in Revelation that we have, a, a, we are called out group, called out mission. We go all over the world. And unless your ministry is doing those things, we can't count it as being profitable. So I want to say, heads up, my hat's off to St. Jude's because they have a worldwide mission as a church and individuals. So I believe you're on the right path. I know you're on the right yeah, path. Yeah, and this church is on fire. I mean, I, I love to go Hallelujah. to St. Jules and Father Dan, and thank you, Deacon, for all you've done. Just a couple of minutes left on the show, and I'm going to ask the question that uh, that's at the bottom of the list. But of all these work projects, <laughs> yes, which sir. one has been the most meaningful? Yes, sir. Well, you know, this, is, uh, this question's been asked uh, before. In fact, I'll give you the scenario. We were at uh, Sornelli House uh, at the orphanage in Thailand, and... Father Mike knew my working history at NASA and at Exxon and things I did along the way. We've discussed those over the years. And, and so um, he says one day, uh, what is the most important thing you did? What was the most interesting thing you did? And I looked at him in a puzzled way and I said, Father Mike, we're doing it right here today at Sornelli House. This is the most important work I've ever done. And with that, I just want to say that for myself personally, once I've found Christ truly in my heart, I knew I had to simplify my life and put aside and detached from material. And I could strongly consider the most important work that I have done was without regard for payment or financial gain. And the best work I've done was with Father Mike Shea and Father Dan Edwards in attendance to the world's most abandoned, the most impoverished, and the most desperate who live in a world without hope. That's the best work that I've ever been involved in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Calvin, I don't know what to say after all that. It was oh, just a beautiful yeah. show and yeah. testimony by Deacon. And I know we are going to have you back soon because I know you have so many wonderful projects that we need to dig deeper into. I'm saying dig deeper into. There's an archaeologist. Yes. Time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right on. But thank you, Deacon, for all the work you're doing. Uh, you're a blessing to us and, and to all at St. Jules. And I don't know how you and Dan got Father Dan got put together, but boy, you're in the right place. Oh, thank you so much for you know. inviting me, and it's been a wonderful experience to really get to know you, Todd, and, all right. and to be a friend of Calvin so, all these we're years. We're all Axe brothers, yeah. I believe. That's so, right. Uh, we all Calvin, brothers. you want to take us out in prayer? Yes, let's do that. Our Father and our God, we just thank you for this opportunity today, Father, for giving us Jesus to 
you know, uh, direct our lives. We know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. The way to show us, the truth to teach us, and the life to lead us. So let us go in faith and in love, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Cajun Catholics with today's guest, Deacon Reggie Bollock, and our man, our co-host, Mr. Calvin James. Thank y'all so much. I love you guys. Uh, always engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Until next time, God bless.